Good morning. Today's reading is from Exodus 12, verses 21 through 23. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans, and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right. Thank you, Zach. Good morning. It's great to see you all here this morning. My name is Dave. Um, I'm a pastor here at Redemption Tucson, and I typically do the bulk of the preaching. And um, if you're new or you've never heard me preach before, again, I want to say welcome. And also want to let you know that I have a speech impediment, and so it'll kind of come in and out as we go together as, uh, as, I, as I preach. And just want to make sure that y'all know what that is. And um, go ahead and turn with me this morning in Exodus chapter 11 as we continue in this series we've been in of seeing God reveal himself in a, in a world where he has been so greatly forgotten. We continue to march through um, Exodus, which has been incredibly shaping and, and good. And this morning, I expect nothing else from God, not from me, but uh, from the Lord revealing himself in an incredible and powerful way. So go ahead and turn with me there if you have a copy of God's word. If you don't have one, would you hold your hand up high and keep it up high? Like this is a good example. Hold it up and keep it up and somebody will get you a copy of God's word. Y en español, si quiere la Biblia y no tiene, por favor, levante su mano y diga español. Y si no tiene una Biblia, uh, eso es un regalo a usted. Y esta mañana estamos en el libro de Éxodo, capítulo 11. And um, again, this is our gift to you, okay? Keep it, um, put your name in it, ask questions of God, and uh, 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 trust that he will reveal himself and show himself to you. And um, I'm going to go ahead and we're going to get into our time pretty quickly because, again, I, um, I don't, you know, our team was off this week, so I don't have any commentary to give you regarding football. Um, I will say, though, the Pac-12 continues to eat itself alive. So, um, but anyway, sorry, that's all I'll say. Um, I'll move on. But um, um, let's go ahead and get into it. And so last week we covered a ton, right? We were looking at plagues, and we looked at the first nine plagues, and there was a lot, a lot of just incredible revelation of God showing his power, his wisdom, his intentionality, his creativity, right? He put all the Egyptian gods on blast. That's why he was, you know, he chose frogs and gnats and the Nile and all these things. It's not just because God's like, oh, what do I want to do? Oh, I know frogs. They look weird. Um, we'll use them. No, but he was right revealing, listen, you're God of fertility that you trust in, I'm going to reveal that has no power because um, I'm going to use frogs to just demolish your homes and get in your pots and your hair and everything else. And so we, we saw all these incredible nuances. This morning, what we're going to see, the big idea is we step in and see what's known as the Passover, is we understand this, that there is a call to remember the Lord, your deliverer. And so this morning, we see God delivering his people. 
And the only way that, can, that would, will work in the way that only he can do, he chooses to pass over the oppression and the sins and the, and, the, and, the, and the brokenness of his people. And so that's what we'll see. And again, the big idea, the call for us this morning is we come before God, remember the Lord, our deliverer. Okay, so let me pray and ask God to oversee our time here together. Again, Heavenly Father, we confess, as we all did corporately, that you are good. Um, we recognize that we are not, that apart from you and your intervention on our behalf, we are doomed, or we are broken, we're separated from you. Um, we deserve your judgment and your wrath, and yet you are merciful. You are full of grace, undeserved favor. So, Lord, I pray that we as individuals and as a community this morning will simultaneously recognize our desperate need for you or the brokenness that we have chosen to be in and in some cases have not chosen to and yet are in our desperate state before you and then your incredible and sufficient provision in and through the person and work of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. So let's dive right in here, Exodus chapter 11, as we look at this 10th and final plague. The Lord said to Moses, yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. And in verse 4, so Moses said, thus says the Lord. And he told Pharaoh about this 10th and final plague that God was going to bring on Egypt. And so if you were keeping track, right, last week where we left off at the end of chapter 10, verse 29, Moses said, as you say, I will not see your face again. And so the understanding here is that what we're reading, this showdown with, with Pharaoh, between Moses and Pharaoh, is um, this part in chapter 11 is recounting what's already happened. Okay, so M Moses is talking with Pharaoh, and then this ninth plague comes, and in that time, he also tells him what's going to happen in this tenth plague. So when Moses leaves and says, you're not going to see me again, he doesn't go back on his word and go back in and be like, oh yeah, Pharaoh, one more thing. Okay, presumably, he's standing before him, and he has this whole mantra, and he shares every with him, including what will happen in the tenth plague. And then Pharaoh is mad and says, basically, get out of here. And then Moses is mad and says, fine, I will. And um, you're not going to see me again. And then, and then he, he, he shares all that will happen in this tenth and final plague. So, so just for those of us that might get like tripped up on some of the wrong things, um, we need, that was an example, like that's what it looks like to get tripped up when you're talking. This way, if you're getting tripped up on the wrong things here and, and you see, well, wait, what's going on? What's the timeline? Oh, see, incongruence. It doesn't, no, no, no. This is all before uh, Moses leaves, he kind of drops this hammer, okay, and then he leaves. But, but look back at something that we need to notice here, and we could be so quick to miss, 
in chapter, or I'm sorry, in verse 2, chapter 11, God tells Moses, speak now in the hearing of the people that they may ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold and jewelry. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. That's significant. Okay, go back with me. If you have your Bible, or I think I have it up here on the screen. This is significant because way back in chapter 3, this is when Moses is talking to a burning bush, right, that's on fire, and God is speaking to him through that bush, and Moses is, like, very early on, his relationship with God is starting, and his message to the people of God is beginning, and God says something there in Exodus chapter 3, and I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and when you go, you shall not go empty, but each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing, you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. Now go back in a, with me for a moment there in where, the, where God's people, the Israelites, might have been when they first heard this. All right, Moses comes back. Hey, I was talking to this bush. It was on fire, and um, it was actually God speaking, not the bush. Just God's so big that he can use whatever, and he's speaking through this bush that the fire was so great, but it didn't even consume the bush. And um, God says that at some point he's going to deliver us from our slavery that we've been in for 400 years now. And he's not just going to set us free, but he's going to He's going to hook us up. Like he's going to give us jewelry and all kinds of wealth and favor that we're going to now live. And he's going to set us up to be his people. He will be our God and we will be his people. When he gave that message, these people were so greatly oppressed. Life was exhausting. They were slaves. So can you imagine when he gave this promise, they're like, yeah, right. I can't believe it. And then if you've been here throughout the whole story, you know that after he gave this promise, this hope, maybe they, had, they, they dared hope, okay, maybe God will help us out in this way. And then what happens? He goes to Pharaoh and he talks to him and Pharaoh's right, like, oh, you think life's hard now? I'm going to make it even harder, right? And so now these people who are already exhausted and oppressed, life gets even worse, Okay, so when we read now in chapter 11, the fulfillment of God's promises, we need to recognize that God always stays true to his word, to his promises. But hear me, he operates on a different timeline than we would like. Sometimes he makes promises when it is seemingly impossible to believe them. Again, imagine in chapter 3, Life is as hard as it could be possibly fathomed. And now, way later, God fulfills his promise. Okay, some of the songs that we sing, the one that we just sang, some might ask even, why do we sing certain parts, even kind of like you are good, you are good, like over and over and over again? Why do we do that? And some of us that love hymns, and we should, that's used to like, oh, you don't repeat anything. There's just like the same word. It's like these, these big ideas are being, are kind of unfolding time and time and time again. Well, sometimes songs like that are helpful for us to sing over and over and over again because, and this is even from some of the historic Negro 
spirituals, this will be done. And songs will be sung while working similarly here to, these, um, to God's people in, 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 in places of slavery. Holding on to promises that are seemingly impossible to believe in the moment. Okay, working under back-breaking pressure, exhaustion, heat, singing things individually and as a community over and over and over again to remind ourselves in the moment of the promises that we cling to, even when it seems like there is no way they will actually come true. Okay, that's important for us to hear, to understand. And just for some of us, that's why sometimes in singing we do that. It's, to rem- it's like we're singing, yes, we're worshiping God. We're singing and reminding one another and even like this, reminding ourselves, our own hearts. God has made promises. In this moment, I can't make myself believe them, but I'm going to sing this and confess that it is true and trust that God through His Spirit will shape me to live in light of the hope that I can't intellectually understand in this moment. And that's an example, a reminder of what we see happening here of God's people. you got to believe when, when this starts happening, they're like, oh yeah, that's right. God makes promises that he eventually fulfills. Okay, we'll get there, all right, but I'm, gonna do, I'm not going to do the like, Jesus juke and like try to save you for in the end where like when we're talking about this, by the way, okay, spoiler alert, everything we're reading is about Jesus, okay? So I'm not going to try to hide that. We, this is another example of many. God makes promises. And imagine Jesus' followers sit there and see him hanging naked, bloody, dying on a cross, breathing his last. Well, I guess he didn't know the full story, <laughs> Because he said that he was bringing this kingdom, and now he's dead. I saw him heal people, and he talked a big talk at one point, but I guess his promises can't be held on to. Yet God is working at a different timeline than we would like him to. He's rescuing his people, and this is a picture of it, of what he does there. And then pick up with me now in chapter 12, because these events are so significant. He says, listen, this isn't just like right now in the moment. This shapes all of history. This is a big deal, what he's doing. So pick up with me in chapter 12. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Okay, this, what I'm doing right now is going to change your whole calendar. All right, again, we've gotten so used to a life that's just kind of like, including how we relate with God. We're so used to inserting things like, oh yeah, okay, I've got my life going on, I'm in school right now, or I'm about to get married, or I'm about to get a new job, or I'm struggling right now, and one day things are going to change, and well, I'm I'm here at church, I just showed up, because you know, like a little bit of, that's L's, I should know not to use L's, right? A bit of God is good for my life, right? Just kind of sprinkle them in a little bit. I, maybe this will help me get the job I want. Maybe this will help, like God's kind of a good luck charm and just kind of add them in, you know, slice them into my life and I'll keep going. It'll make things better. But no, God's message is, listen, who I am and who you are as my people shapes everything. What I'm about to do right now in delivering you and calling you to be my people is going to change everything, including your calendar. This doesn't just fit nicely into your life. This shapes your whole life. 
Okay, these events of the Passover are so significant, and I will get to connecting the dots to us today. They're so significant that he says, it's going to change your whole calendar. Let this be the very first of the entire year. And every year, circle back around to these significant events. One um, theologian kind of helps us connect the dots here this morning with this. Um, Alec Motyer says this. Alec Motyer was asked, tell us about the connection between the Old and New Testaments. Motyer replied, if you asked an Israelite, who are you? He might reply, I was in a foreign land under the sentence of death and in bondage, but I took shelter under the blood of the lamb. And you're like, no, no, no. I just asked you, like, who are you? <laughs> right? Like, who are you? Like, where are you from? You're from, I'm from Minnesota. Right? But no, this, who they are, who you are is directly connected to who you are in relation to God and what he has done. Okay, there's a bigger story. There's a broader context. And so he says that, right? I was in a foreign land under the sentence of death and in bondage. Who I am was connected to the, the brokenness, the, the, the slavery I found myself in. But I took shelter under the blood of the lamb. And our mediator led us out. We crossed over. Now we're on our way to the promised land. Though we're not yet there. But he has given us his law to make us a community. And he has given us a tabernacle because we must live by grace and forgiveness. And he is present in our midst and he will stay with us until we arrive home. And then, not your added, that's exactly what a Christian says, almost word for word. Again, lest we struggle to connect the dots between what we're reading in the seemingly ancient historic text in Exodus, this incredible narrative where Almighty God is making himself known in a world where he's been so greatly forgotten. Let us connect the dots that similarly, in the same way that he's saying, what I'm doing to make you my people shapes your life so much that your entire calendar is going to be changed by it. That's true for you and me as well. If someone says, who are you, what kind of details do you give that defines who you are? Okay, hear me now. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus, and you would use that language even, well, I'm a Christian, or you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, and perhaps you're investigating, what does it mean to be a Christian? I think it means you look a certain way, you dress a certain way, you uh, looking out at some of my closest friends, you wear plaid, right? We didn't all plan this, right? You do certain things, you're, you're you know, you, you like try to be re re relevant, but you don't always do a great job at it because you want to kind of stay separate, unique, like all these things that come to mind. This is what a Christian is, Right? I could go on and on. We would probably, could probably fill some things. In this church context, it has to be, oh, I drink craft coffee. I was drinking Starbucks this morning and actually got mocked for drinking a Starbucks drink because it's not third wave enough. Sorry, it's only second wave. It didn't go third wave, right? Whatever these things are that we use, what would identify you as you are? If, what does it mean to be a Christian? In the same way of what it means here to be an Israelite, to be a covenant member, a person of God, meant I'm an individual who's a part of a community 
whose entire life is defined by God's intervening, rescuing work. And he's made promises that I continue to cling to and trust that he is with me and is seeing me through along the way. As a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, it is now everything that Jesus did and promised he would do. Jesus predicted his own death, and then he died. And he predicted that he would raise from the dead. Hear me now. This is the clincher. And he actually did. Jesus rose from the dead, ascended to the right hand of God the Father, where right now he currently rules and reigns over all things, and he made a promise that he would one day return, wipe away every tear, okay, turn every, every weeping into rejoicing, that he would usher in a perfect kingdom where everything is the way it's supposed to do, or it's supposed to be. And he said, I'm not going to leave you there to struggle on your own. I'm not going to leave you there to, to, to try to convince yourself that God will fulfill his promises, but I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit who will fill you, who will empower you and enable you to live as God's people in light of the promise which is to come. And all of that is built upon the foundation that Jesus rose from the dead. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the author Paul says, listen, if Jesus didn't really raise from the dead, we are stupid. We're foolish, right? I know I got my kids in here and they're like, dad just said the S word. I did, stupid. Sometimes it's appropriate, right? It's, it's foolish. What we're doing, like, I don't know if some of us like hold our hands up when we're singing. If Jesus didn't really raise from the dead and we're not actually singing to someone who is on a throne and we're not actually like revering or surrendering to, like that's just crazy. What are we doing? It's like, dude, get your arms down. Like, okay, raise your hand if you're sure. Like whatever, like, all right, that's just dumb. Like, why are you doing that? But if Jesus really did raise from the dead and he did, amen, that informs every facet of our lives including our calendar, including what we do every Sunday when we gather together. And so the message that we'll now pick up in, in uh, chapter 12, verse 21, the message of what God is doing is this. It's so significant. God is delivering you to be his people. So remember him and look to him. He is your deliverer, and that shapes who you are and what you do in all of life. Amen? So pick up with me now in chapter 12, verse 21. Then Moses called the elders of Israel and said to them, go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans, and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. This is the moment. Moses is telling what God will do, the deliverance of God setting his people free through what he and only he can provide. He is setting his people free. He is delivering them in this 
let's just be honest, death is included here. It's blood. It's strange. And yet God is saying, this is the means through which you will be set free to worship and live as my people. And so to help us kind of enter in and understand this, I have a video that we're going to watch that helps us understand, that helps us connect the dots. Again, enter into, it's okay to say, this is a little weird. Imagine, yes, these people, God's people, and all of Egypt have seen all these plagues, right? Frogs and gnats and, and blood in the water and all kinds of things, you know, locusts and flies and just all this stuff. But still here, it's now, wait. So the big difference maker between us losing our firstborn son, which meant your entire livelihood, it meant the carrying on of your name, the carrying on of all your possessions, of everything that, that would be your future. Okay, your future is going to be contingent upon whether or not a lamb is sacrificed and its blood is placed over us. And God's either going to strike us and judge us or deliver us and set us free. That's kind of strange. And I want to recognize that might be strange for us. In fact, for some of us, we've gotten so used to the story that maybe it should be a little more strange or maybe in a positive way, a little more awe-inspiring. So let's watch this video by D.A. Carson. It's about three minutes long to help us enter in and understand what's happening here. Picture two Jews by the name of Smith and Brown, remarkably Jewish names. The day before the first Passover, having a little discussion in the land of Goshen. And Smith says to Brown, boy, are you a little nervous about what's going to happen tonight? Brown says, well, God told us what to do through his servant Moses. You don't have to be nervous. Haven't you slaughtered the, the lamb? And Daub the two doorposts with blood, put blood on the lintel. Haven't you, you done that? You're all ready and packed to go? You're going to eat the, the whole Passover meal with your family? Well, of course I've done that. I'm not stupid. But it's still pretty scary. When you think of all the things that have happened around here recently, you know, flies and river turning to blood, and it's pretty awful. And, and, and now there's a threat of the firstborn being killed, you know? It's all right for you. You got three sons. I've only got one. And I love my Charlie. And, 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 and the angel of death is passing through tonight. You, you, you know, I, I know what, what God says. And I put the blood there, but, but it's pretty scary. I'll be glad when this night is over. And the other one responds, bring it on. I trust the promises of God. That night, the angel of death swept through the land. Which one lost his son? And the answer, of course, is neither. Because death doesn't pass over them on the ground of the intensity or the clarity of the faith exercised, but on the ground of the blood of the Lamb. That's what silences the accuser. 
The blood silences the accuser of the brothers as he accuses us before God. He silences our consciences when he accuses us directly. How many times do we writhe in agony asking if God can ever love us enough, if God can ever care for us enough after we've done such stupid, sinful, rebellious things, after being Christians for 40 years? What are you going to say? Well, you know, God, I, I tried hard, you know? I did, I did my best. It was, a, it was a bad moment. No, 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 no. I have no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. We overcome him by the blood of the Lamb. There is the ground of all human assurance before God. There is the ground of our faith, not guaranteeing intensity of faith, so fickle are we. It's not the intensity of our faith, but the object of our faith that saves. They overcome him on the ground of the blood of the Lamb. What is it that saves you? The blood of the Lamb. Turn to your neighbor and say, the blood of the Lamb saves you. Okay, we, we can know that intellectually, but practically, functionally, so quickly forget. Right? We can sing songs, God, you're good, God, you're good. And the best thing we can do is turn our hearts off, right? Plug the ears of our hearts to what we're saying with our mouth because it hurts too much to say something that we don't actually believe that we don't actually trust. And yet the message, I think like we see there, and that we, if we enter in here and we see what God's doing and what he's revealing to his people is, listen, your righteousness, your goodness, the intensity of your faith, the consistency of your faith, the genuineness when you're singing songs and have your hands raised, that's not what saves you. That's not what sets you free. What sets you free is what I have done on your behalf. I have provided blood of a lamb and that covers you and makes you my people and the message is this is so important even in this moment right the first passover as don carson said the very first one they might be like okay cool like we just saw the plagues i guess we believe imagine now five years later they're wandering in the desert they're commanded to continue to remember what god has done but they're struggling they're exhausted. In some cases, they don't have water. In some instances, they don't have food. In some cases, they asked for food and God provided, but then that food got boring. All right, I could connect the dots, right? Some of us are in marriages right now. Let's be real, where we, God has provided or we have kids that we longed for and prayed for, and then now we're in a place where we're like, oh, I guess, God, your provision's getting a little boring right now, or it's a little bit challenging right now. It's not really what I want. I want something else. Like, that's the story of God's people. And yet he gives these, these, these routines that they're called to remember, to gather together constantly, lest they forget who he is and what it means that he is God and we are his people. This is what he says, so his people will never forget in chapter 12, verse 24. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? 
you shall say it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses, and the people bowed their heads and worshiped. Okay, and we know that this generation never actually got to observe this Passover dinner because they never entered to the promised land. All right, but again, a couple years into the promised land, and now they're getting attacked by other nations, and they're, they're prone to wander, and they're forgetting, and yet God's people are called. And even to this day, to, to, to Jewish people, this is the most significant celebration, feast that they're called to remember and the same is true for you and me. In fact, Jesus, the night he was arrested, what was he doing with his followers? He was observing the Passover dinner. Okay, pick up with me in this story in Luke chapter 22. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Just pause there for, for a moment. Jesus is there observing this Passover dinner where, and we'll get into ne next week some of the significance of all these different feasts and festivals. But enter into the story right here for a moment. Jesus is here observing this Passover dinner. And what happens? Well, the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Okay, if ever you've heard the language of Jesus, right, the lamb of God, in John chapter 1, verse 29, Jesus' own cousin, John the Baptist, when, when Jesus shows up on the scene, John the Baptist sees him and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In this moment now, Jesus, the night right before he would be arrested, is observing this Passover dinner where this Passover lamb is to be sacrificed. And Jesus, the Son of God, the Lamb of God, the one who would take away the sins of the world, is observing this Passover supper with his followers. And we pick back up in the story. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. And then picking up down in verse 19, and he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Okay, the, the, the similarities could not be more clear. Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, is connecting the dots between what it means to be God's people. Okay, the, in Exodus here we see God providing a way for his people to be passed over, to be delivered, to be set free, not by the intensity of their faith, but by the object of their faith, that they trusted God, they take him at his word, they believe him, or they do as he says. He provides blood, they are under the blood, and they are set free, they are forgiven, they are passed over, they are now made, um, made his, his people, and then Jesus says, this is my body broken for you. This is the blood of the covenant given for the forgiveness of your sins. And he pours out, he says, do this in remembrance of me. And that's why every Sunday when we come together before the Lord's table, we remember in the same way that Jewish people remember the Passover. 
We are who we are because of what God has done. Every Sunday that we gather together, we come before this Lord's table, this Passover meal, where we remember that the broken body and the shed blood of the Lamb of God is what defines us. It's what sets our calendar. It's what sets our, our week. It's what informs and defines what we will do this afternoon. Who we will see when we look in the mirror tomorrow as we head into whatever lies ahead in that week, in that day. It's why we look forward to, with expectation, coming together, gathering together. It's why we are sent out at the end of our service as the benediction in response to the good news of Jesus as his people, remembering that because he has died, he's broken his body, his, his blood has been shed, and then he has victoriously risen from the dead. Who we are is defined by what he has done. Remember the Lord, your deliverer. And so this I'm going to wrap this up by reading the Jesus Storybook Bible, the account that kind of sums this up. And by the way, I've chosen to walk through it this way. If you read through chapters 11 and chapter 12, it, the author kind of inserts the story and then what God tells to Moses and then the observances they're supposed to do in the feast. And I've wanted us to just step back and look at God and his mighty works so that we might be able to remember him and his deliverance of us by his grace alone. Again, what is it that sets us free? Is it how hard we try? Is it all the things we do to keep him at bay? We pray, we sing, we give alms, right? We give money. We do all the things that keep God satisfied. No, no, no. What has satisfied him is what only he could provide. It's the blood of his only son, Jesus, our sacrificial lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so that very night, Moses and God's people fled out of Egypt and out of slavery. They were free at last. God's people would always remember this great rescue and call it Passover. But an even greater rescue was coming. Many years later, God was going to do it again. He was going to come down once more to rescue his people. But this time, God was going to set them free forever and ever. And he has. Amen. Through faith in Jesus... You and I are covered by the blood of the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. Let us now respond in remembering the Lord, our Deliverer. Amen? Heavenly Father, thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for sending your Son in a time historically that from our perspective probably made no sense. Lord, even the means of your delivering doesn't make a lot of sense. Jesus, you could have taken up a sword. You could have called down thousands of angels. You could have done whatever you wanted to do. But you put an end to death through death by dying yourself, by allowing your body to be broken and your blood to be shed so that we could be set free.
Lord, to worship you in all of life as your people. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.